Let's thank God for Sean. This guy leads the pack and has done a great job. Yeah, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you, students. Thank you. Oh, it's been great uh, seeing Sean, Pastor Sean, work with our youth and uh, such a big heart that he has. It's just incredible. And, and to see all these young people up here, you guys are going to change the world. You really are. We need some earth movers and shakers these days. So, well, as I begin today, I, I want to just remind you of the theme that we've been using this year called Reach One. And earlier on, we were pushing a little bit more, and then we had all kinds of things come up, so we've lost a little bit of momentum. We want to reignite some of that. To keep on thinking about a person in your life that you need to reach out in the name of Jesus who might need the Lord, and you can be instrumental in that. And just in case you don't know if it's possible, it happens. Tina, would you come up here? Tina Basil has seen something happen in her own personal life as she's been reaching out to one, and to see what happens, I've asked her to come and tell her story. morning. Um, for those of you that have been here, you know what the Reach One is about. But for those of you that have not been here, for Reach One, you were to pick someone or several people and pray for them. So we put names on a card and we turned them in in a basket and we've been praying over them. Well, my Reach One is my friend Julie. Um, Julie lives in my neighborhood. And we would, um, you know, we always are at get-togethers and her and I would end up talking and she was asking me about Jesus, about God, about my opinions on some things, about a church. So I had asked Julie if she wanted to attend church with us, and she said yes. And she's been coming, I think, four or five, six months, faithfully. She sought out um, Pastor Rick, and she took the membership classes. She will be getting baptized soon and taking membership. So that's my reach one, but her reach one um, she had a couple things. One, um, her stepsister had asked her about attending a church, and Julie invited her here, and she came. But Julie's reach one is her cousin. They've been having, I don't know, a little bit of a conflict, or um, I don't know, there was just some tension there. And I know it was bothering Julie, but she kind of thought, what else can I do? But God placed it upon her heart, because this is her reach one, to give her a call. And so they did talk. They've agreed to go to lunch to work things out. So it's all about really finding one, praying with them, mentoring them, discipling them, sharing Jesus so that we could advance the kingdom of God. Thank you. Thank you, T.D. Yeah. So just one story that I think many are happening out here, that there's a person in your heart and God's working, and I just want you to see that things do happen. Well, today we're finishing our time in Proverbs. Next week will be the last one on a W, which is on work. Today it is on women and why they need attention. And I just want you to know right now this is a difficult topic. There are easy topics in the Bible to preach and there are difficult topics in the Bible to preach. And this one is a more difficult one. In fact, as we look at the women in Proverbs, we're going to be talking more about the married than the single woman there. And Solomon, you're going to find out, is pretty blunt. He's pretty 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 well politically incorrect, and so um, I thought it might just be good to start out with a little humor on modern-day Proverbs. I'm not saying I agree with all these, but they're funny in a way because they reflect a reality that we often see in married life. Marriage is a workshop where husbands work and wives shop. 
A married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering them. I like this one. Marriage is partly about finding that one special person you want to annoy the rest of your life. <laughs> um, marriage is a bond, and I've seen this a lot too. Marriage is a bond between a person who never remembers any anniversaries and another who never forgets them. And so if you forget one, they're going to remember it for you and you're going to be in some trouble. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. And a successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend. And a successful woman is one who can find such a man. So I don't know what your success rates are here. But let me get this out of the ditch. Here's a good one. I looked into my wallet and it was empty. I looked through all my pockets and they were empty. Then I looked into my heart and I found you. And only then I figured out how rich I was. Everybody say, aww. Isn't that cool? Romantic? Okay. Yes, indeed. I hope that's your case here. As I said earlier, the nature of this topic is a little bit difficult. And so don't tune me out, especially if you are single. You might be thinking, this is irrelevant, I'm not married. And so, listen, a lot of you singles would like to get married, I know that. And, and so, don't tune out because if you don't prepare properly to get married, you can make a huge mistake. And so, I've got two modern day Proverbs for you too, if you have a tendency to want to tune out and say, I don't need this. How about this one? I didn't find out what happiness means until I got married and then it was too late. <laughs> Me and my wife lived happily for 20 years, then we met. <laughs> you might think this is crazy, but this is true. I mean, pastors' offices are full of people who are struggling with these kinds of things. And the point is, if you are single, learn as much about marriage as possible, because in the words of another modern-day proverb, it's better to be single and lonely than to be married and miserable. Now, you might be thinking, Al doesn't like marriage. Oh, do I, I do. I, I just see a lot of difficult things in marriage. And I want you to know that marriage is the best thing God ever created between two people. It's got its problems, but it's the best thing that God ever created. And I also want you to know that of all the illustrations that the Lord could have chosen to express his relationship with him and his church, he chose marriage to be a picture of that. So marriage is to be held in high regard. Having said that, let's move to the subject of women in Proverbs. It's a major subject. As I said, there's some pretty pointed things about women here, and it's not all negative. There's some negative, there's some positive. And if you want to go positive, there's one long, the longest chapter on women is a positive one in Proverbs 31. The rest of the verses are scattered throughout the book. So let's see what some of Solomon had to say what, what he had to say about women as I'm asking you to read as I read from God's holy word. Would you stand as I read? Proverbs 31, 10 through 12, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Proverbs 11:16. A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. Proverbs 31, 20, and 21, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Proverbs 19, 13, a foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. 
And the Lord didn't arrange the rain this morning just to illustrate this proverb. Just want you to know that. Proverbs 21, 9, it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Proverbs 14, 1, the wise man, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Proverbs 12, 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness to his bones. Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And Proverbs 31, 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You may be seated. Here's the big idea that I want you to see today as I open up God's word in this context. A woman's disposition in life should consist of positive, not negative qualities, and her husband should be her biggest cheerleader. Let me say that again. A woman's disposition in life should consist of positive and not negative qualities, and her husband should be her biggest cheerleader. Recently, I heard a speaker on this subject say, there are only two things you need to know about women. You understand these two things, and you'll understand women. The only problem is nobody knows what those two things are. (laughs) You laugh, but that's a stupid thing to say. You do know what things that you need to know about women if you want to understand them, because they're in God's Word, and a lot of it is in the book of Proverbs. And if you understand Proverbs, you're going to understand women, you're going to understand children, you're going to understand men, And since today it's mainly about women, I want us to come to a new understanding about them. And there's so much to help us. So what I want to do today is I want to start out looking at the positive disposition of a woman in Proverbs. There are five basic qualities that you should be shooting for. And ladies, if you say, I'm falling short on this one or that one, don't feel so bad. We're shooting for them. I don't think any lady has them all but their targets. And by the way, there was this dear lady that was a long-term member of this church. Her name's Shirley Eddy. And the Lord called for her a week and a half ago, and we had the funeral here. There were scores of people who were talking this kind of Proverbs language about her and those qualities. And so I want you to know it is possible, and people can, can see these things when they are present. So let's look at these qualities. Quality one is grace. Proverbs 11, 16 talks about the gracious woman, and it says, a gracious woman gets honor. A gracious woman. She's not in life for herself. She places people high on her priority list. She treats people well. She's kind, generous, hospitable, and gentle. She's not hard and gruff. She uses wisdom and modesty in her dealings. She displays humility and courtesy. She's hospitable and engaging. She has a charm that goes beyond her looks. She demonstrates godly qualities in all of her actions towards others. And even when she has to take a hard stance or an opposing view, she never puts anybody through the meat grinder. And because she's that kind of lady, the text says she's afforded honor. People speak well of her. She gives no occasion for people to speak ill of her, and she secures honor by her good people skills. There's a second quality of a lady of positive disposition in Proverbs, and we call it discretion. We see this stated in a very unusual way in Proverbs 11:22. I love this imagery because it's so ridiculous. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, 
is a beautiful woman without discretion. Can you see that picture? That's just kind of a gross picture in my opinion. But a woman without discretion is totally out of place. It would be like putting a gold nose ring on the nose of a pig. Discretion, literally taste in Hebrew, means that a woman has moral discernment and proper judgment. She sees moral and spiritual right and wrong, and she chooses and advises the right thing. But a woman without discretion is extremely inappropriate. And her beauty cannot overtake what is out of place. And when you understand how unceremonially clean a pig is to the Jew, so that you'd never put a gold ring in the nose, it's unclean, then you understand how inappropriate it is to have a beautiful woman who lacks proper discretion. A third positive disposition is virtue. And Proverbs 12, 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. And that word excellent there in Hebrew means virtue. And so we're talking about a virtuous woman here. It's talking about a woman of godly character, a woman of strength, a woman of worth. And she is sexually pure. And she does the ethically right thing. And she has godly character. And she's not in the sleazy novels and tabloids and off-color TV shows. She's virtuous. And the verse says that she's a great asset to her husband. She is like a crown, it says, on his head. And he doesn't ever have to be concerned about her lifestyle, her whereabouts, and her secrets. On the other hand, the second part of that verse says that if a man is married to a woman who is constantly without virtue, moral excellence, she will slowly but inevitably ruin him. There's a fourth quality that I want you to see, and it's wisdom. We go to Proverbs 14.1 for this one. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. You can translate wise woman here as womanly wisdom. She has this gift here that God has given. And by the way, I want you to know that women have this intuition, this wisdom that many men don't have. It's what God has given them in a very special way. And this quality is about possessing knowledge, how to create a harmonious and orderly home so it results in general happiness and fulfillment. And she knows how to connect family members and do them well so that they form a, a, a cohesive group in their household. By the same token, this verse says, when a woman doesn't exercise this kind of wisdom about how her family is doing, then the family will begin to disintegrate and she'll bear a large part of the blame. And the wise woman realizes the strategic role she plays in the home. And it's incredible how much the fortunes of a home hang on the wise woman. But there's a final quality in a positive disposition. And it's called prudence. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 14 says, House and wealth are inherited from the fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And prudence basically means head on your shoulder. You have common sense. You know what life is about as it is lived out. It's the ability to be shrewd in managing practical matters. And if you want an expanded commentary on what prudence is all about, that's what chapter 31 is. It is prudence in action. And that's the kind of wife that God wants to give a man. So when you look at all five of these qualities... 
grace, discretion, virtue, wisdom, and prudence. They're kind of a package deal. They're intertwined. And the text says at one point, that's the kind of wife that God wants to give a godly man. So let me expand on that a little. It's not just about a man finding a good wife. And it's not just about a woman finding a good man. It's about a good spouse finding a good spouse, which is a gift from the Lord. Which begs the question, how do you find that good spouse who is a gift from God? Well, there's only one answer I know. And I'm speaking now mainly to the single people. And if you are already married and you're struggling in your marriage, hang on a little bit later on. We're going to talk about how to pull that out of the ditch a little bit. But I'm talking about those right now who want to get married. What you need to understand is you just don't run in and let romance and hormones take over and then you marry somebody. You want to have a qualities profile like we're talking about here. You want to have a list of the kind of person you want to marry because then you will go in with the spiritual advisement that you need in order to marry somebody that way. Because if you give up and compromise on that, you're liable to make a huge mistake. I remember that when I was dating, I actually did this. I had a profile that I got in terms of what I thought I would like, but also from the Bible. And I had this profile so that when I went dating, I would kind of go check off, you know, see, does this girl have this? Does she have this? Does she have this? Does she have that? And you know what? I never compromised that. I dated a lot of pretty women, but I found out that if... There were a lot of people, and I think, oh, you know, she is really good-looking, but she doesn't have this and this and this. Ah, her good looks will take over for that, and it'll be, uh-uh. I decided I cannot compromise. And in the end, God gave me a pretty woman and a gift that has been 44 years of marital enjoyment because there was so much of an important matter of this gift's profile, understanding what the virtues are of a spouse that you'd like to marry. And so as a preacher of the Word of God, and as a husband who married well, I plead with you, do not compromise yourself when it comes to the qualities that you need to have when you marry, or you will get yourself into trouble. So let's look about trouble. I talked first about, about the positive qualities of disposition in a woman. Now we're going to go to the negative ones that Solomon deals with. So fasten your seatbelt because some of it gets a little bit rocky. Are you ready to go? Here we go. The negative disposition of women in Proverbs comes in two major categories. We had five po positive qualities. We have two negative ones. Number one was the seducing and adulterous woman. And the other one is the unhappy woman. Well, since we talked about the seducing and adulterous woman last fall, we're going to talk now about the unhappy woman. And so I want you to hear me out don't get ahead of me because you might be going down a road I'm not going. I'm going to pull this to the right end as we go through it. But let's talk about this unhappy woman. She has one major characteristic in Proverbs. It is called contention. And the contentious woman is referred to multiple times. And the word for contentious can be translated a number of ways. An angry woman, a nagging woman, a quarrelsome woman. And it comes from the Hebrew word discord. She's upset, ill of mood, and mad about something, and it has become her disposition. It's not that she does it once in a while. It's taken over. And what Proverbs says about the contentious woman is almost humorous, unless you're married to one. 
Listen to what Proverbs says, and you know what? I'm glad I didn't write this because you'd probably say, okay, here, time to take a hike here because this is pretty hard stuff. Solomon wrote it. It's the word of God. Proverbs 21.9, also 25.24, it says, It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. You might be thinking about your roof, which is basically pitched. But over in Israel, they were flat roofs. And you could actually live on the flat roof. You could eat there. You could sleep there if you wanted to. It was better to go inside and avoid all the challenges of being outside. But it said in the end, if you've got a contentious woman, you might as well go to a corner of that flat roof and live there with the challenges and the challenges of that lady in the house. And then it goes on, Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to live in a desert than with a contentious and vexing woman. The angry and frustrated wife continues to exert pressure. And, the, and, the, and Solomon says here, it is vexing. And the idea of vexing is that she will keep causing annoyances and irritations about what bothers her. And the unhappy woman keeps on letting you know, keeps letting you know, keeps letting you know. And it's like that slogan, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. She keeps on vexing. Now, two other problems compare the contentious woman to a major annoyance. Dripping water. Proverbs 19.13 says, The contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. And Proverbs 27.15 says, A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. And so this continuous nagging and whining is like drip, 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 drip all the time. And she repeats and repeats her displeasure with amazing frequency. Now there's an old Arab proverb that says a similar thing. It says, three things make a house intolerable. Talk, knock, and bock. Talk is a leaking roof. Knock is a nagging woman. And bock is a bug or bugs. So we have these nagging things that go on. And Proverbs and the Arab Proverbs seem to pick up on the same strain. Now, is Proverbs on a mission to take the side of married men who have contentious wives and alienate women who have this problem? Or is Proverbs also ignoring husbands who are also pains in the butt? Absolutely not. Here's what I think's going on. Here's what I think the key is. Here's how I want to tie this together and integrate what we've just seen in Proverbs. Because I've seen too much material here about an unhappy woman just to throw it like a shotgun out there. I think there's a target. Now, this contentious woman in Proverbs, there's a lot going on here, and it was a problem back in those days. And apparently, as far as I can tell, there were problems of life and difficulties in life, and the husbands weren't taking care of their women, their wives, and they were struggling. And after a long time, they began to let their husbands know, this isn't fun, and I just want you to know, you got to do something about this. And they started to nag and be contentious, and the husbands wouldn't answer up. Sounds like modern day, doesn't it? So we had these women whose needs were not being cared for back then as we do today. And so I believe there's a key verse. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 23, I think, puts its finger on the problem. The verse sets up three and four things that the earth cannot bear up under. And so in verse 21 it says, under three things the earth quakes, and under four it cannot bear up. The third thing in that list is this. Under an unloved woman when she gets a husband. Now, how do you understand that? Unloved woman when she gets a husband. Well, one idea is this. She is a married woman who's starving for love from her husband, but she's not getting it. 
And therefore, she kind of does some things she shouldn't. The second understanding is this woman, unloved woman, is a woman who married for some other reason than for love. And you often saw that in biblical days. They got married for other reasons than for love. And so this lady who felt unloved was bringing misery to her husband. She was trying to get his attention. So let me paraphrase it for you. Look out for the wife who feels unloved. Does that mean that her husband doesn't love her? Probably not. But if she feels unloved, it's the same result. And so it's very, very important to understand a guy to his wife, you've got to make your woman feel loved. Now, I've been married for almost 45 years. This summer, Marie and I will celebrate 45 years. And for most of those 45 years, I've been taught the same message. For instance, when I went to seminary, I was taught, your wife will become what your love makes her. Your wife will become what your love makes her. And that began to sink in. And then about 25 years ago, I read a book by Gary Smalley entitled, If He Only Knew, which said the same kind of thing, the disposition of your wife is largely determined by the husband's love. And then more recently, the book Wild at Heart made a big impact. And it said that every woman has three questions. If she gets these questions answered satisfactorily, she will feel loved. And if she doesn't, she will not feel loved. And she'll probably make some noise if she doesn't feel loved. And these are the questions. Will you pursue me? Every wife wants to feel pursued. Am I lovely? Every wife wants her husband to feel that she is lovely beautiful. And am I number one? Does the husband have other competitors out there from the job or whatever it might be? These are her questions. She wants answers. If she doesn't get those answers, she leans towards being contentious. Now, while it's annoying to guys, it's their way of trying to get through. They want you to hear their message, and so they turn to some ways that aren't so productive, and we're not letting them off the hook. Bad behavior is never right. But often they do that kind of naturally, and when wives are contentious, they're sending a message. And guys need to listen to the contentious message. This goes back a number of years, and you might be thinking, well, Al can say this because his wife isn't here today. just want you to know that my wife and I talked about my sermon before I brought it today, uh, and uh, I said, okay, Marie, am I going to get killed if I preach this one? And secondly, can I uh, share this illustration? And she said, no, you won't get killed. They probably need to hear it. And secondly, you can share the illustration. There was a time it seemed to me that Marie was becoming a contentious woman in Proverbs. (laughs) She was short with me, unsympathetic, picky, annoying, nagging, confrontive, and there are other things on my list I'm not going to share. And it lasted about several months. And I was becoming unhappy. I, had, I really had it out with her one morning. I mean, a big fight. And I went off to the office. Now, how much ministry am I going to get done if I'm mad at my wife? So I began to think this over. And I said, you know what? I've got to do something here. I won't be able to minister. I was almost putting ministry above her at that point, And I was trying to defend myself on why I was right and why she was a contentious woman in Proverbs. And all of a sudden, the Lord came to me and said, remember that little thing you learned for all these years? Your wife will become what your love makes her. You are, conter- you are turning her into contentious woman. 
And I rang the phone up and I, I went home and we began to chat. And I said to her, honey, we just had a fight. And the Lord has helped me to understand that a lot of what's going on is my fault. You have been feeling unloved by me and you have been making some noise. And we cried a lot. And you know, after we shared together, things turned around. Why? Because she was feeling loved and she hadn't been feeling that way. She felt in competition with the church and I had thrown her for a loop. Guys, we need to be very careful how we treat our wives and if they become contentious. Don't look so much at them. Look at yourself and just remember, you didn't marry a contentious woman or you wouldn't have married them. Odds are that we've led them down that pathway because they're thinking, you're not listening to me, I don't feel important, and I don't feel valued. And when a woman feels this way, she's going to be hurt. She's going to show signs of contention. And she's going to be sending a message that we are not meeting their needs. And so our job as husbands is not to add to their wounds and struggles. Our job is to make our wives feel inc like incredible creatures. She doesn't want lectures and promises. She wants to receive what God has equipped her husband to give her. And God has equipped all of us to minister to our wives as husbands. So let me give you a few practical tips to the guys and then one. Six to the guys and then one to the contentious wife. And by the way, when you go home today, wives don't say to your husband, remember what Pastor Al said, you're not doing this, you're not doing no, Don't do that, please, okay? Number one, guys, confess your deficiencies. Own up to it. Man up. Let them know where you failed to minister to their basic needs. James 5 says you confess your sins and you can be healed. Number two, provide attention and affection. Studies continue to show that most women, that's their number one need. Affection and attention. And they need to know that they are more important to you than sex is. And so hug her, hold hands, send a card, give her flowers, speak her love language. Number three, talk to your wife. She wants to have conversations beyond grunts and what's for supper. And uh, have personal conversations that last for more than five minutes. Compliment her. Tell her she looks lovely. Tell her you like what she's wearing. Help her to feel beautiful. Number five, be considerate. Use kind words. Don't be short with her. Don't be impatient. Don't belittle her. And number six, sacrifice for her. Let her see you give some things up. Cancel an appointment. Cancel a golf game. Do something she wants to do, even if you don't want to do it. Show her that she is a priority. Now, guys, just realize if you start doing that, she may not trust you for a while, and she still may... But eventually, it'll come through. Now, a tip for the woman, just one. If you are the contentious wife of Proverbs, knock it off. Cut it out. Stop the nagging. Curb the punishment. It doesn't work. That's why the Apostle Peter said in chapter 3, of, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, that if you nag and are contentious, your husband will tune you out. Rather, he goes on in verses 2 and 3 to reaffirm the qualities we looked at in Proverbs and said, if you become that kind of woman, you'll make the biggest difference. And then 
When you do that kind of thing, lady, then rely on preachers like me to wake your husband up, okay? If we married, we didn't marry, didn't we marry to be friends? What good is it for men to ignore their wives and for wives to be contentious and quarrelsome? Life is too short. Now, I know there'll be problems in every marriage. I know that. But the deadly combination, as I wrap this up, is this. Here's what we're talking about. We are talking about the combination of an insensitive husband and a contentious wife. That's a lethal dance. And we have to have the husband become sensitive and the wives back off from their quarreling. And Proverbs is trying to stress this and solve the problem of insensitive husbands and quarrelsome wives. I suggest a 24-hour experiment. You can do this as a couple or you can do this as an individual spouse. But I would like you to take a raw egg. A hard-boiled is not fair. A raw egg for 24 consecutive hours. And I want you to live with this egg wherever you go. It's always by your side. When you're in the shower, when you eat, when you're in the car, when you go to work, when it's by your side when you watch TV and when you answer the phone, you even get to sleep with your egg. But you got to make sure it is cared for well. Do that for 24 hours. And while you're doing that, say, if I can take this good care of an egg, what? I can take this good care of my spouse. And so try that and see what happens. Because you know what? The message today was not to make anybody feel bad. It was to get husbands and wives out of the sinful and harmful patterns that the Spirit of God could tell you if you need to to make a mid-course correction. And if you are a contentious woman, I want you to pray the following prayer if the Spirit of God has touched you. And if you are an insensitive husband, to pray it as well. I'm going to verbalize it. You'll pray it silently. And this is one of the times you can be scriptural to watch and pray because you don't have to bow your heads now. Watch the screen as I read it. And in the heart of hearts, if this is the if this is your heart that you need to change, husband or wife, silently would you pray this with me as I read it aloud. Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a contentious woman, or I admit that I don't make my wife feel loved as I should. Help me to see how I failed and break me. Forgive me for the ways I've wounded my spouse. Make me to be a godly person regardless of how I may be treated. Keep the destroyer far from us and help us to love each other as you, O Lord, love us. May I redeem my marriage by forgiving my spouse and changing my behavior. I realize this won't be automatic or easy, but I'm expecting a new day. Help me, Lord, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now would you bow your heads, no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Yes, I see a number of hands. Praise God. Keep them up for just a moment. Yes. Hallelujah. God is working. I think a new day is ahead for many of you. And now, Father, as we come to this last song to seal what we talked about today and some decisions that have been made, I pray that those who have their hands up would be resolute to get into a new way of living life with their spouse and to put the old habits aside and to trust the Lord for new ways of living together and not to allow Satan any standing room whatsoever that we might see a new generation of sensitive husbands and peaceable wives. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I know we're